Let's do it. Welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And you just give us a call. We'll put you right up at the top of the list and get your questions answered for you. That's right. Right now is the perfect time to call. We can well, take right. some time with you and get you a thorough answer to your questions. That's right. Now, I see we've already got a line holding. We've got Harith on the line. Good morning, Harith. How you doing, Mr. Alvazan? I'm doing great, sir. How about yourself? All right. This old truck of mine, 98 <laughs> with... Uh, yes, sir. Two hundred thirty-four thousand. Uh huh. The shift column, like the metal, you know, where you change gears from park to drive yes, and all. Mm-hmm. That snapped off. Did it? Like uh-huh. not the whole handle, but like the piece of the tassels to it snapped off. Okay. Can that be repaired? Or, yes, sir. Or, or, yeah, that's a shift collar, I think they call it. Kind of involved, Arif. I think you have to take the steering wheel off. There's a lock plate that yeah. keeps people from stealing the vehicle and all that. You're talking probably three, three and a half hours to go down there and change that piece and, and put the column back together. Mm-hmm. Those parts are should still all be available. Yeah. Okay. And you might check the junkyard, and you might find one that's working. be easier to just swap the column out. Yeah, just change the whole column out instead of replacing the parts on yours because some of those parts are kind of pricey, and it's a fair amount of labor to change it. So. And I'm not sure that some of them are still available. I've had pretty good luck getting everything. Have you? Yeah, on 98, you should be able to still get all that. But like Brian was saying, you might just check a junkyard. If they sell you the whole column cheap enough, Right. I wouldn't pay $300 for a column. But, I mean, if they would sell you a column for 50 bucks then it would probably be cheaper to swap the whole column out. And is there any danger of, like, the airbag deploying? Probably not so much deploying. I mean, it is feasible that it could happen if it shorted out, but more likely it would quit working, and it will damage the other wires. There's a number of wires that run down that steering column, And if it starts damaging those wires, you're going to be into a much bigger problem. So I would probably address it as soon as possible. Okay. All righty. All right, thank you. Okay, thank you, sir. Bye-bye. 291-6901 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we're going right straight back to the line with Joe. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. How are y'all this morning? Doing great, sir. Doing great. Well, I've got a 2004 Nissan Maxima SC that I bought used oh. three years ago. Uh-huh. And it's just a nagging problem that I've had ever since I bought the car. Okay. And I don't know if it's standard to the car or what, but when you run the heater, mm-hmm. it runs just fine as long as you're moving, but when you come to a stoplight, the heater starts blowing cold air until you start moving again. Have you ever heard of this problem? No, I really can't say that I have, Joe. A lot of things with the coolant flow that cause that, but you didn't say anything about overheating, and it's not overheating, and it does work sometimes. I kind of doubt you got anything like that. For instance, the impeller blades on the water pump can be broken or cracked or corroded and cause that kind of an issue, but they have what they call an air mixed door, and the air mix door controls how much hot and how much cold you're going to get. It's all electronically controlled, so I would assume it's probably something in that particular system. Now, it's also got what they call a default setting. Now, default setting means if the computer encounters any kind of an error, it's going to switch to the last known position it had. So let's say one of the sensors is dropping out and it thinks you're commanding air conditioning on and that becomes an error, well, then it's going to stay in that position until something changes. And maybe when you're accelerating, you're moving something. So I would check first. There's a computer in, and it does have the capability of storing information, sort of like a check engine light. So check and see if there are any codes stored. If they are, see what the error is. 
And it could be something as simple as just a loose wire or something that moves when you idle or moves when you take off is setting it in a default mode, and default mode is the last setting, which happens to be cold air. That's just sort of a guess, but it's the best one I could come up with. See, the way that car actually operates, the heater has hot water running through it all the time. It doesn't have a heater control valve. Okay. So hot water runs through the core all the time. Now, on the side of the heater core is the evaporator core. One's hot and one's cold. And there's a plastic door that moves back and forth between them to give you either hot or cold or blend the amount of hot and cold that you get. I can't say that I've ever heard that particular problem, but it's got to be something to do with that. Okay, so would it be best to go to the dealership or bring it Oh, never. I mean, never, ever, ever go to the dealership. <laughs> <laughs> now, any competent shop can handle it. That's no big deal. We do a lot of that work, and so does lots of other guys in Baton Rouge. Okay, I didn't know if there might be a solenoid or something that when it goes to idle that it's just actuating. or. Well, or it shouldn't what? be. It's the way most vehicles are built. They have electronic stepper motors, and there's a little computer of sorts that commands all that stuff. But again, it's nothing that couldn't be diagnosed and repaired relatively easily i would think the most difficult thing is if the door itself is somehow broken or damaged it's pretty involved to change that door because you have to take almost all the dash apart now if that's the case you may just choose to live with the problem but uh, right. at least you can get it diagnosed to see if it's not something simple i mean it could be something as simple as a loose wire or burn connector now one last thing that just occurred to me ask whoever drives the car every day if they ever hear like a gurgling noise under the dash particularly when you come to an idle if you ever hear like a gurgling noise those systems are the devil to bleed out and if the coolant's been changed in it at some point possibly before you got it and it's air still trapped in the system. It can have some air bubbles that are collecting up in that heater core. And what those will do is that when you're going faster, the water pump's turning fast enough to push the coolant past it so it can go ahead and get some heat out. And when you come to an idle, the pressure drops down and the air is trapped in the heater core and it's blocking it. Kind of a long shot, but definitely I know that is a problem with them. So if you're getting a gurgling noise, I would try possibly bleeding the coolant out and see if that doesn't help. Okay. All righty. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you got a question or comment, give us a call. It's 291-6901. We'd love hearing from you. And we have got Felicia on the line. Good morning, Felicia. Hey, good morning. Yes, ma'am. I have a 2003 Jeep Liberty. Uh -huh. It's the 4x4. It's the limited edition. Okay. And I have an emissions leak. And somebody told me I could start with the gas cap. Well, that's one possible thing, Felicia, out of about probably 25 or 30 possible things. If you want more understanding of the way that system works, you can go to my website and just go to the search bar and just type in something like evaporative, the word evaporative, and it's going to bring up an article all about how that system works. Basically, the way it works is there are two solenoids, a vent solenoid that's always open and a purge solenoid that's always closed, and there is a sensor in the tank that can detect vacuum. There's several lines and hoses, and on that particular one, they have what they call a leak detection pump, which is a little electric pump. Now, what's setting the light is that when the engine decides it wants to check and make sure that the system's intact, it closes the vent valve and turns on the leak detection pump, which builds pressure, and it pressurizes the tank slightly. Then it shuts off the pump and closes the valves, and it expects that pressure to hold for a few seconds to make sure there's no leaks anywhere. Well, what's happening is that it's leaking back down. Now, clearly, if the gas cap is bad, it's going to do that. But also, if a vacuum line is cracked or one of the two solenoids doesn't close or if the pressure sensor is bad, on and on and on and on and on and on, you know, it's going to set the same code. So that's why you can't just go literally by code. Now, gas caps can be tested very easily. Anyone who does state, inspection. state inspections can test that cap for you. 
as well as any shop. Just have the cap tested. It shouldn't charge you anything or very little. If the cap's good, then you know that's not it. Or, I mean, if you want to just go buy a cap and try it, you have to go to the Jeep dealer and buy the cap because the aftermarket caps are pretty much junk. But a cap's going to cost you $22, $23. And in my experience, that is probably the least common thing that causes that issue. Okay. Most common on the Jeeps is a leak detection pump goes out or to get a vacuum line cracked. Okay. Cool. Right. Well, thank you. All righty, ma'am. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's the name of that tune. Hey, 291-6901 will get you right straight to us. We'd love to hear from you. Why don't you give us a call? And we've got Drew's been patiently holding. Good morning, Drew. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. How good are y'all? Great, Good sir. morning. I have a 98 Tahoe. It's my son's vehicle, mm-hmm. and it's got a clacking noise or a tapping noise, and we've got a code reader, and it came up with a number five cylinder misfire. Okay. Uh, what's your advice on that as far as, like, drivability for one? And Well, Drew, you're not going to be able to drive the vehicle if you got a misfire code. Reason being, every time that cylinder misfires, what is happening is that a charge of fuel is leaving that cylinder and going into the catalytic converter which runs the temperature that converters sky high. So if you drive it with a misfire for even just a couple of days, you end up buying a catalytic converter. So you just added about $800 to the cost of the other repair that you still got to make. Gotcha. It just gets insanely expensive pretty fast. Now, to go about diagnosing the problem, Drew, the first thing I would try, that is a 98, so it's probably a 5.7 liter. Yes, sir. Take the spark plug wire, say, off of number five and move it to another cylinder and take the wire off that cylinder and move it to that cylinder and see if the code changes to the other cylinder. Okay. If it is, you got a bad plug wire. Next, take the spark plug out and do the same thing. In other words, if you don't have any test equipment, that's just kind of a country boy way of checking it. And swap the components from one cylinder to the next cylinder, go drive it, and if the misfire moves to the other cylinder, that's the bad part. Gotcha. And, I mean, you can do that pretty much with the plug, the wire, even the fuel injector if you're pretty handy. But it's something that's peculiar to that one cylinder, so it ought to be relatively easy to diagnose. Plugs are one thing. Something like a oxygen sensor or MAP sensor is not going to ever be the cause or fuel pump because they affect all cylinders equally. This is something on that one cylinder. Okay. You might also do a compression test on the cylinder and make sure it's got good compression on that hole and not anything that's wrong inside the motor itself. But that's the way you would go about testing it. And, of course, we could diagnose it for you. It'd probably take less than an hour to diagnose that problem, and then you'd definitively know. If you start throwing parts at it, you're going to spend way more than an hour diagnostic time real and, quick and, and may, maybe never right. hit the problem. And possibly cause another problem. Yeah, it may even create a new problem if you go buy inferior parts. Yeah, junk parts, which are right, so right. prolific today. Yeah, yeah. The reason why I called was I got one real quick estimate. They didn't do any diagnostic mm-hmm. just by hearing, and somebody told me I needed a new motor, so I just packed up and left. Yeah, who knows? Possible. I mean, that is one thing that can cause it, but that's one out of... I'd sure uh, get a second opinion. Yeah, I'd, and yeah. I'd look at the simple things first. Right. I mean, it's kind of right. if I hear a bunch of hoof prints behind me, it might be a herd of zebra, but most likely it's not, you know? Exactly right. All okay, great. Well, thank you all very much. All right. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back. Pete and Richard, hold on. You guys be straight up after the break. Hey, Agco Automotive is here to tell you some things are too good to be true, like free beer tomorrow or lose weight on the ice cream and cheeseburger diet. Another thing too good to be true, the low-price oil change. Automotive businesses will sucker you in with an under $30 oil change and then give you a huge list of recommended maintenance and repairs like flushes, brake work, rack and pinion leaks, oil leaks and more. Well, Agco says be smart. When you get the list, 
Bring your vehicle to AGCO and we'll provide you an honest evaluation of any problems you may be having. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Oh, and those beautiful models just waiting to talk to you late at night? Yeah, too good to be true. Welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Just go ahead and give us a call. It's 2916901. And we're going back to our phone lines with Pete. Good morning, Pete. Hey, how you doing? Doing morning. great, sir. Good morning. Look, I called you about a couple of weeks ago about a Mazda Protege. Okay. It was a model of 2003 that was using excessive oil between okay. the oil changes. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And you told me a procedure that you could do. Do you all do the procedure? Yes, about sir. How long would it take and uh, what kind of ballpark figure? I think you're talking about probably chem- trying to chemically treat the motor. Okay. Is that what we're talking about? Well, I don't it's remember using the about three, It's using about three quarts of oil, not between all chains. Yeah, you and, could uh, try a chemical treatment. It might work. It might not work. Sometimes it helps. Sometimes it cures it. Sometimes it doesn't do anything at all. It just depends on what the problem is. You know, Obviously, if it's got broken rings in it, it's not going to help. If okay. it's got stuck rings, it may very well help. So it just kind of depends on what the problem is. That procedure takes about a half a day in the shop, and it's not a half a day work time, but it's got to do some things. Like you have to take all those plugs out and add some stuff down the holes. It has to sit for a few hours, and you have to do some more things, and it has to sit for another few hours. You can expect to spend probably between $125 and $200 somewhere, depending on exactly what all is required on that engine. And that's just the only thing you can be able to do short of rebuilding the engine. That's going to have some hope of fixing the problem. All right. All righty. Thank you, sir. All right, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Why don't you give us a call? Our number here at the station is 291-6901. And we've got Richard's been patiently holding. Good morning, Richard. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, 04 F250. Mm-hmm. 06. You know, something like 6.0. Okay. It was got way to give it a little shot of ether in the morning to start once in a great while. Now it's every morning. And I don't believe it's the glow plugs. I've been fooling with diesels since 1963, so I kind of know a little bit about them. Mm-hmm. On the old boards, I could check all that. I, on the old boards, it had a, a check valve to keep the diesel from draining back. Mm-hmm. On the injector pump, and I don't know nothing about these 6.0s. Yeah, the, the 6.0 uses a module rather than a relay, and... It- there's actually, if you got a forward scan tool, you can test them like that because it'll automatically go in there and tell you what the amperage is on all of them. So it's actually a lot easier to do. It's just you need a lot more expensive equipment to do it. It's not like in the old days. Now, is it always like that, Richard, when it's cold or hot? Or well, so the coldest days of the year mm-hmm. wasn't any problem. It's just... Well, it's probably not going to be the glow plugs then, because glow plugs no, are strictly going to be a, yeah, it's going to strictly be a problem when it's cold. When it's hot, it really doesn't need the glow plugs. Well, it's kind of like you, you know, you got good days in the mornings when you wake up, mm-hmm. and you got well, this is the same way. Right. Now, the last three days, though, it would it wouldn't start. The hmm. last three days. Yeah, it could be something in the lift pump where fuel is bleeding down. Have you tried cycling the key a couple of times before you try to start and see if that helps? I did this morning twice, but it didn't. And I don't want to sit there and grind that starter. No, no, not at all. Yeah, what you want to do, Richard, try just cycle the key to on, wait a few seconds, turn it off, and do that three or four times because that will run the lift pump each time you do it. If that seems located. It's going to be in the tank on that one, I'm sure. Oh, thank See, you. See, and if that helps, 
then you're probably into a bad lift pump or something like that. Now, I know the condition of the battery has an awful lot to do on that engine because if the battery voltage goes down when you're cranking, because it's all electronically controlled, it won't fire the injectors properly. So you, it may, yeah, it may sound great, but see, eight volts will crank them motors real fine when you got two batteries pushing them. Yeah. But eight volts ain't gonna run that computer. So what well, you I'll might put want to, well, put the fluke on and measure the voltage while you're cranking, and make sure you're holding a good twelve and a half volts while you're cranking. If it's dropping right. much below that, see, because batteries go bad in a lot of different ways. And if the voltage drops down on a 6.0, it won't start. But that would be well, some things to start. Now, the, well, I'm gonna put my tank, on, my hand on the tank, and get somebody to turn the key on, see if I can feel it. Well, it's gonna be it's running, gonna run. see, but it's just it may be draining back. It may be draining back when you cut it off, and there's a check yeah, valve could be bad in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, all that good music you play, do you dance? Absolutely. Well, I'm about to send you an email with my picture. <laughs> I'd hate I'd to think I did, man. <laughs> Uh, Hi, Richard. I'm sending my email. Hi, right. right, well, bye-bye. Hey, give us calls, 291-6901. We sure love to hear from you. Talking about fuel pumps on that website, you'll put a new detailed topic on there every week. And there's a couple of them on there on how to test a fuel pump and how to test for bleed back. Which is a very, very good article I think everyone needs to read because there's a lot of information in there, number one, on how the fuel pump operates and so on, but a lot of really good information on how to prevent problems with your fuel pump. Because a lot of folks don't realize, but the life of your fuel pump is almost 100% under your control. Correct. Certain things that people do, they may not realize they're doing, that can kill a fuel pump right. real fast. Like running the tank down until yeah. the light comes on. Oh, yeah. The, the fuel actually cools the pump. Yeah, the fuel flows through the pump. And right. that is the coolant and the lubricant. So you might want to read that article. And of course, lots of other good articles and things to read on there. But that particular one will give you a lot of insight because you can easily save... Anywhere from seven hundred to a thousand dollars on changing that fuel pump, but you would not have to. Plus a breakdown somewhere. Just by doing a Just few by simple a few, things. A few things. That's right. Changing a few habits of, of things we've always done. Hey, let's go back to our phone line with Ferris. Good morning, Ferris. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. I've got a two thousand eight Mazda Tribute. Yes, sir. I t- when I turn the ignition on, mm-hmm. absolutely nothing. Then I turn it the second time, and it always starts. Okay. That doesn't happen every time. Yes, it sir. happens more and more frequently, it seems like. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, Ferris, when go, you say nothing, do you mean it won't crank? Or does the dash lights it, at all come on? The dash light comes on, but okay. it doesn't crank. Yeah, it just it won't crank. crank. But it will always crank the second time. Yeah, most likely, Ferris, if your dash lights and all that are coming on, one other thing you might just try. Next time it does that, instead of releasing the key, mm-hmm. continue to hold the key over and reach over and hit the horn, and if the uh-huh. horn blows while it doesn't crank, then you know you got full battery voltage getting into the system. Most okay. likely, if that's the case, it's going to be something in the starter motor itself. Okay. Now, one other All thing right. you could do if you could get to it and you're real handy is that if it does it and you continue to hold the key over, like I said before, if yeah. someone can get to the starter motor and just tap it lightly, like with a little hammer or something, and if it uh-huh. starts to crank immediately, then you know for sure it's a starter motor. Okay. That's right. I knew those were probably the options, but yes, I just sir. wanted to know what you were saying. Well, about see, it. the ignition switch could be the same thing, but then your dash lights and all wouldn't come on. And if it's losing power somewhere, when you hold the switch over, it's not going the horn's not going to blow. So right. that simple little test will tell you. Very good. All righty. Thanks a lot. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Uh, bye bye. 291-6901 is the number if you want to report the automotive hour. Got Melvin on the line. Good morning, Melvin. 
Yes, sir. Hi, how you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Let me ask you a question. Sure. Okay, I got a B2086 Mazda. Mm-hmm. Okay, I already changed the fuel pump, the carburetor, and the guy had to clean my tank, and he said it was a filter or something, that sock and all that. Mm-hmm. Okay, he done all of this. Now, it's getting gas finally because it was cutting in and out for me. Mm-hmm. And now it's running real, real rough, like when it's idling and all. So I'm just wondering when I put that new carburetor on there or rebuilt one, whatever. Yeah, you you, man, you, you may have just created a second problem, Melvin. The original carburetor might have been just fine and the fuel pump was bad. And you fix one problem when you put the fuel pump, but you created another problem when you put that carburetor on. I got to tell you, one reason I don't fool with carburetors anymore is because I absolutely cannot find any that will even run. I right. mean, that's the worst junk I've ever seen in my entire life. Is there any way you can get your old one back or it's gone? No, it's gone and all that. Yeah, man, that's a tough thing because I tell you, man, your odds of finding a carburetor that's going to work, even even run at all, is pretty slim. And one of the most common things for idling rough and all in those cars was the carburetor. You kind of yeah. stuck between a rock and a hard place. And you, if you go buy another one and put it on, it still does the same thing. Does that mean you got another problem, or does that mean you just got another bad carburetor? <laughs> you know? right. So you, you can't diagnose a problem like that because they're all bad. I mean, there's the worst trash you ever seen out there. Every one of them was wore out 20 years ago, and then they're all rebuilt in Mexico and China and India and everywhere else under the sun by people who never even saw a carburetor before. So, yeah, you got a bad problem, man. The best option is if you can maybe go to a junkyard and find you a carburetor that is not all dried out and everything. Of course, that's the problem. It's in a junkyard. It's probably going to be yep. y'all dried up. You know, being sitting without old, gas. Yeah, that old. Or sitting with gas in it. Yeah, man, that's a yeah, tough that's, one. That's, that's bad. It's going to be real tough. The only other thing I can think of, Melvin, if you could find an old mechanic somewhere who knows how to fool with carburetors, he might could go through it and do something for you. But uh, oh. that's going to be a real tough problem, man. And yeah, that's what I was wondering. Well, yeah. not that, but now when they're putting the 15% ethanol on the fuel, you go have a vehicle that ain't going to run anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> and politicians are hell-bent on getting us out of these old cars, I can tell you. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering about. You know, yeah. I'm kind of stuck in a rocking hard place. Yeah, you re- really are. You really, really are. Yeah. Okay, I mean, Melvin. I just need to find somebody that can take that one I got now. Maybe so, yes, sir. If you can find somebody to do that, and if he can find some decent parts somewhere to do something with it, and, and if it hadn't been screwed up too bad rebuilding it. Right. Now, the only other possibility, make sure you don't have a vacuum leak, like a line that didn't get plugged up or that got plugged in the wrong place. Or maybe the base gasket on your carburetor didn't seal good or is out of place, or maybe it's the wrong gasket. Because any kind of a bad vacuum leak will also make it run equally bad. You might try taking a little bit of carburetor cleaner and just spray it around the base of the carburetor and see if the engine speed picks up when you do that, because it'll suck that carburetor cleaner and it kind of works like fuel. Be real careful because you can start a fire if you're not careful. But I would try that. And beyond that, you have to try to find somebody who maybe rebuild a carburetor for you. All righty. Okay. Thank, thank you, so you Melvin. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. And we got to take one more quick little break, but we'll be right back. Artie and Terry, hang on. You guys will be straight up after the break. Good morning, and welcome back to Automotive Maintenance School, fellas. Good morning. Yesterday, we left off talking about how to upsell your customers with the sneaky $24.99 oil change. Yeah, they come in for the special and bam, we hit them with other problems we just happen to find while doing the oil change. <laughs> yeah, and then you tell them, it's a good thing you came in for our oil change special. Yeah, you may never have known you needed all this work. Yeah, sound like you fellas did your homework. I just hope none of your customers did. <laughs> Agco Automotive has this to say about low price oil changes. Take advantage of them. And if you get a list of recommended repairs, 
bring your vehicle to us for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alpazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And we've got Artie online. Good morning, Artie. Yes, sir. Good morning. Good morning. I have a 2007 Classic GMC three-quarter ton All right, HD. Sir. Mm-hmm. And I'm having, I've been having trouble with my transmission. Okay. It's been marking transmission hot, and it goes off and on, and now I uh, have no reverse. And mm. I also... Yeah, uh, it probably don't have second gear either. What it'll right. do is it goes into first gear, and it's going to kind of hesitate and wind up, and then it'll jump real hard, and it goes straight to third gear. What's happened already is that you've broken the reaction shell and transmission. That's a very, very common problem. Do not continue to drive it, because if you do, you can tear the whole transmission up. Right now, it's, it's a fairly light rebuild, replace reaction shell replace the seals and stuff like that and there is a part that you can put back in that is much much better than the original the original chevrolet part was basically trash in my opinion it was basically spun well and they just stuck the reaction shell on the shaft spun it around until it got hot and stuck to it well it doesn't take a whole lot for it to break loose when it does you can lose reverse you can lose second gear yes, problem sir. is it starts generating metal when you do that and that metal circulates through the transmission and it can tear up the solenoids it can tear up the torque converter it can that can go from a relatively easy, light rebuild to a major rebuild real, real quick. So you need to stop driving it, get it somebody, let them go in there and repair that for you. The reaction shell we put back in is a billet steel one-piece shell that's made to not ever have that problem again. And We've got several other things that we do. When we rebuild a 4L60, we put some much heavier parts back in to solve the problems that GM's had for a long time with that transmission. Where are you located, sir? Uh, 11410 Corsi Boulevard. I'll tell you, if you go to my website, it's www.agcoauto.com, agcoauto.com. There's information on there, every possible thing you could ever want to know about us. Yes, sir. Okay, thank All right. you very much. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number if you want to give us a call. And we've got Terry online. Good morning, Terry. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. Got a quick question. Sure. 96 Toyota Corolla. Uh-huh. It came with a power package, power windows, power locks. Yes. It has the little slot on the side of the steering column mm-hmm. for cruise control. Okay. Is it still possible to get cruise control for that? particular model in year? Terry, I'd have to check into it and see. I'm not 100% sure. On older vehicles, there were a lot of aftermarket companies that used to make cruise control modules that you could add on. The problem is all that is electronically controlled through the body module and with the throttle body on the later model cars. Now, all that being said, my truck came without cruise. And basically, we checked and everything for the cruise was there except the switch and the little servo. So I went on eBay and bought a servo, bought a switch, hooked it up, and I've got cruise now. That's all it took. But now I say that was a Chevrolet. I'm not sure on a Toyota what would be required to put it in. Okay. It would just be something you'd have to get in service data and check and see. You might just go on the Internet and Google, like, cruise control Toyota. See if anyone offers a kit, because if you can find some sort of a kit to do it, it's going to be way cheaper than buying the individual parts. Okay. But I would say most likely that you could. You know, you're just going to have to have a kit to do it. Okay. All righty. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. If you just dial 291-6901, you can talk to us right now. 
And we've got Ernst on the line. Good morning, Ernst. Hello there. Yes, sir. All right. I got two questions. For sure. You, okay. I'm looking at maybe purchasing a '95 Dodge Dakota. Okay. Okay. The transmission, in other words, it ships well. You get on the highway, it does well. Mm-hmm. But when it starts, to, when it should start to, after you go through the gears and go back to the standard driving, I guess you call it, it takes it a real long time for it to come back into the drive mode. What is it doing in the interim? Is it is going to neutral? Yeah. Like it's slipping? Yeah. Yeah. Ernst, if you hadn't bought it already, I probably would not buy that truck because that is most of the time a fairly major transmission problem. The seals are getting hard in the transmission, and what's happening is that it, they're bypassing the pistons that apply them, and that's pretty much a complete rebuild of fix. Now, that being said, you might just check and make sure it's full of fluid because if it's got a leak and it's low on fluid, it can do exactly the same thing, which no, would be very full. minor. Right, but no, it's full fluid. If it's full of fluid, then I would probably avoid that vehicle. I mean, unless you're just absolutely in love with it or he's just going to give it to it, you. Yeah, get it at a great price. Well, if he's going to give it to you, you know, and you can afford to put a transmission in it. But, yeah, that's a pretty major repair normally. No, that's, that's basically what I needed to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would avoid that one. I mean, because you figure a transmission is going to cost you anywhere from two to 2500 bucks, and you could probably almost buy that truck for that with a good transmission. Oh, definitely, definitely. So, all right, question number two. Sure. I've got a 2002 Jeep Cherokee mm-hmm. Sport, okay? Last week, my turn signals uh, stopped. I'm working okay. on Okay. Both of them? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Check the bulbs and everything on them. Mm-hmm. Everything works and all. You uh-huh. know, the flashes and everything works, but they just don't turn. Is there some type, isn't there some type of a flasher or something like yes, that? Yes, sir. There's Don't two wait. flashers under the dash. One is for your emergency flashers and one is for your turn signals. What you might just try is put your emergency flashers on and see if they flash. They do flash. Okay, well, then that means all your bulbs and all your wire and all that's good because that uses the same circuit. Okay. I would probably suspect the flasher unit itself may be bad. That's one possible cause. Nothing else is not working on it, and there's an airbag light's not on or any of that kind of stuff? No, nothing comes on. Okay. Then I would probably suspect that flasher is the most likely cause. Now, it might be a little difficult to find it, but what you can do, again, put your emergency flashers on, and you'll hear it tink, 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 and follow that little noise until you find that flasher. Okay, okay, now you know that's the one for the emergency flash. It's not the one you want. But somewhere close to it, there's going to be another one that looks just like it. Okay. And that's going to be the one you need. You might be able to even unplug the one out of the emergency flashers and move it over to the regular one because sometimes it's the same flasher unit. You used to be able to on the older ones, but I'm not sure about the newer ones. I'm not now. sure either. Sometimes they're different, but most times they're the same. If you do that and they start working and the other one quits working, then you know for sure that's the problem. Yeah, because my son lost the manual on it, and I don't have the, the book on it anymore. Yes, sir, but you, just, you got to crawl under the dash. It's going to be on there somewhere, but if you put your emergencies on, it won't be far from the emergency flasher unit. Okay, sounds good. Now, it's possible the switch can go bad. Sometimes it does that, too, but the brake lights and all still work. Yeah, everything else works. Yeah, right? normally when your brake lights and all still work, because see, the, the switch, the brake lights go through the turn signal switch. And all if right. all that's working, most likely it's going to be the flasher unit. Okay. What all does right. that consist of? Oh, they're cheap, man. They're probably, some of them are 2 or $3, some of them are $20, but none of them are real expensive. It's just a matter of plugging it in. Just, just plug it, take the other one. Pull it out and plug it in, yes, sir. Okay. All right, sir. Thank you. All right, sir. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would certainly love to have you. And we've got Ronnie on the line. Good morning, Ronnie. Hey, good morning. Yes, sir. My wife has a 2001 Toyota Sienna van, okay. and her brakes squeal on it when she stops mm-hmm. at low speeds, especially mm-hmm. and it's driving her crazy. Uh-huh. The thing's got, it's got drum brakes on the back. Yes, sir. Just, 
on the front. Correct. If I take it to a shot, I don't know where to tell them to start looking. What can what's most likely to be squealing? Would it be the drums or the disc? Most likely the disc. I tell them to start. Yeah, most likely. Just bring it in just tell them it's, it does it every time you stop, Ronnie? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. it does it all the time. It's no big deal. The way we do that stuff at Agco is just bring it in, and if we can get the person who drives the car, like maybe your wife, to come along, I'll put a tech in the car with her. Just go drive it. Say, hey, you hear that noise? That's what I want stopped. And that way, you're absolutely 100% sure you're going to get your noise fixed. Right, because if you walk in the door and tell them, check the brakes, right. they're going to look at them. They got pad left on them. That's probably going to be the end yeah, of it. Yeah, they say, okay. You're going to get it back with the same problem. Right. So if you find a shop that allow you to ride with the technician, let her show them exactly what it's doing. Most likely what's happened on that, Ronnie, at some point in time, somebody's probably done brakes on it and didn't put the Toyota original equipment pad back on it. Or didn't put the shims behind right. it. put aftermarket pads, took the shims out and threw them away. You know, we see that kind of stuff every single day but it's not a big deal to fix normally it's a matter of putting the correct pads back on there lubricating everything putting the shims they're not in there and we can quiet that down pretty easily okay so it's All not right. likely that the drum part of it would be the not call. too likely drums it's possible can squeak but but it's not likely yeah and most time a drum you can hear it like when you back up and it's going to be yeah. more of a loud groaning than a squeaking say disc brakes are sort of kind of notorious for squeaking in fact if you go on my website there's an article in fact two articles on brake noise just type in like brake noise or something in the search bar and it's going to bring up a whole big old article with pictures and everything else tell you everything you want to know about it okay all right, all right very good thank okay you. man thank you bye-bye <laughs> there you go we're going to take another quick little break we'll be right back with more mike how are you and things at the dealership's maintenance department? Dave, things are great. You guys still running that low-priced $24.99 oil change at your place? Oh, yeah. Folks come in and we just happen to find a ton of other stuff wrong with their car. <laughs> Works, don't it? Sometimes when it's a woman, I make something up like, your flux capacitor has a leak. Yeah, or your strepanoid filter head needs to be replaced. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I gotta write that down. Agco Automotive wants to let you know how to stick it to the low-price oil chain shops. Go get the oil change and then take your vehicle and their list of recommended repairs to Agco for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. And we'll fix only that. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll answer any automotive questions you might have. And just before we run out of time completely, I want to give a little plug to the website. That's right. You may have a question after the radio show goes off today. You can always visit the website and get your questions answered there. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Right. Contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email anytime, day or night, and he'll get it back to you. That's right. There's also several search databases. we got vehicle questions, which has well over a 1,000 questions that have already been answered. To the point, answer to a Chances particular question. Chances are you may very well find your answer right there. If you don't, you can surely go ahead and send me an email. I'll be glad to answer it for you. Just be sure you get the right return address on there. And I had a couple this week. I tried to reply, and they just popped right back to me. So That's pretty much the end of it. Make sure you got the right return address, and do go to the website and use a new, new form, form each and every time. If not, I won't receive it. 
Not only that, but you can go and read the detailed topics, tons of those, just a wealth of information. And those change every week and come on on Saturday morning, so there's always a new one on every week, and just tons of good, good information. And on detailed topics, I generally try to keep them generic to where you can get a lot out of it. For instance, I put them on there like on starters or fuel pumps, stuff that all cars have. That way, everybody can get something out of it. Now, occasionally, I do put one that's specific to a vehicle. That's a vehicle that has enough of a certain problem to where a lot, a lot of people are going to see it, or it's a very common problem, or it's a very expensive problem that people need to know about. Examples of that would be the cylinder heads that crack on the V8 Chevrolet pickup trucks. There's an article on there that shows you how to know if you've got that cylinder head, where they crack, how to diagnose the problem, and all that sort of thing, pictures. There's one on the intake manifold in the Ford vehicles that cracks across the front. That's, again, that's a really expensive problem that people need to know about. So it's got good information on how to identify that problem. Some of the old things like the two-piece spark plugs that Ford use, where the spark plug can break off in the engine. It shows you pictures of it. tells you which vehicles are involved in that. Those are specific to a common vehicle. And only use those when there's just lots and lots of a certain problem on a particular vehicle. Other than that, I try to keep the information as generic as possible, like articles on oxygen sensors, how an oxygen sensor works, what's an airflow meter, oil viscosity, what is oil viscosity, what's the difference in synthetic oil and regular oil, those sorts of things. That way everybody can get a real good piece of information out of it. Lots of good, unbiased information. Of course, while you're on there, lots of other things you can do. You can win a free Agco t-shirt, play in the Agco Auto Quick Quiz. I think you'll really enjoy that and everything else. Look around, see what you think. Lots of good, unbiased information. I think you'll have a good time. It's www.agcoauto.com. I think you'll really like it. And we're going back to our phone lines. We've got Sutan on the line. Good morning, Sutan. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I got a early 2000 series Dodge van. All right, sir. And it's got a problem with the transmission. Okay. What it's not doing is it's going into first real good. Mm-hmm. And then it's not changing gears. Okay. Most likely, Sutan, what is happening is that it's actually going first and second, and it's just hanging in second gear. That is normally what they call limp mode, L-I-M-P, to allow you to limp home. What that does is that when there's an electrical problem and the computer gets confused because it's electrically controlled, it doesn't know when to shift, so it just goes to second gear and locks up. Okay. And if you cycle the ignition, it'll come out, and it'll just start all over again. But that's most likely what's occurring. Generally, that is an electrical-type problem, sometimes outside of the transmission. Now, I, things I, inside the transmission can also cause it, so you just need to get someone to diagnose what's causing it to go to that mode. Okay, because I've, I've cycled, I've shut it off and started mm-hmm. it up again, and mm-hmm. then does the exact same thing. Yeah, it's a hard code. Something has shorted out or burned out completely that the transmission has to have to shift. Could it be a, a, like a vacuum sensor? Or? No, sir. No. Absolutely not. There's no vacuum servos in that thing. It's all electronically controlled. Okay. 100%. So you're going to need to get that to someone, number one, who is technically competent because there's a lot of guys in the transmission business who are going to have a fit trying to even diagnose that. You're going to end up with a transmission where you may not need one. And number two, somebody who is honest, who's going to tell you the truth. Okay, okay. That can be diagnosed without ever disabling the vehicle. If they start talking about taking it apart and all that, then you're you in the wrong place. Yeah, you need to leave. Because that can be diagnosed from the outside. You, need, you, know, you may very well have to go into it to fix it, but you want to know what you're looking at before they start cracking in that transmission. Because that could be something as simple as a sensor on the outside that's shorted out and not sending a command. It could even be like a bad transmission control computer. Computer can burn out and it won't shift. Could be a bad alternator. Yeah, it could be Any, all anything sorts causing of electrical 
Right. Problem. Okay. All righty. Get it to the mechanic. All right, sir. Thank you. Thank you. you. Bye-bye. 291-6901 291-6901 is the number. We've got plenty of time left. If you want to give us a call, we'll be glad to try to help you out, point you in the right direction, maybe get you out of a bind. Give us a call, 291-6901. And we got Glenn on the line. Good morning, Glenn. Yes, sir. I've got a 2004 Jeep Grand Cherokee. Uh-huh. I'm having a problem with the driver's side taillight. Okay. The taillight works. Yes, sir. The brake light works, but if you have the lights on and you hit the brake, they both go out. It's just on the driver's side. Yes, sir. That's going to be a loss of the ground circuit somewhere. What's happening, Glenn, is that the wire used to ground those bulbs is backing up and power is going through it. So you've got 12 volts on both sides of the bulb, so it can't do anything because it has to have 12 volts and ground to work. It's going to be an open circuit to ground, and it's picking up a ground through the other bulb as long as it's not being used. When you use both bulbs at the same time, then there's no ground available for either one. One place that we've seen a fair amount of problems on those is the little sockets themselves. If you take that assembly out, you got like two little sockets that kind of quarter turn in, and in the bulb plug, those sockets themselves will kind of melt together and fuse internally and cause that problem a lot. What you could try, I think they're the same side to side. Steal the one out of the other side, put it in, see if the problem goes away on that side and moves to the other side. Then you'll know that's it. Now, if it's not that socket, then more likely it's in the wire somewhere. It could be a pinch wire somewhere. Do you have a trailer hitch on it at all? No, no, it, it's not no, even set up for No it, kind right? of trailer harness or anything like that. Right. Most likely, I would almost bet you it's going to be in that socket. If it's not, it's going to be in the wire somewhere, and generally that's because something's hit it or pinched it or something like that. But like I said, that's way more uncommon than the sockets. Oh, okay. Well, Alrighty. I'll try that socket. Yeah, swap the side wire. to side and see if the problem moves to the other side. All right. Thank All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. we still got a few minutes. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we got Will online. Good morning, Will. Hey, Will. How you doing this morning? Doing buddy? great, sir. Look, I got a 97 GMC pickup truck. I don't know if this is your uh, line of work. The, Pretty uh, much. The panels inside, you know, the door panels. Mm-hmm. How you take them off? I know it's got a couple screws out there about a grab handle and maybe mm-hmm. one up there toward front, top of the over there, a little cap you take off. Well, that's just going to have a bunch of little old plastic. It's got plastic clips in yeah, it. Yeah, chuchuts that pull out. And you got to be a little bit careful. Well, if you get rough, you'll break them. Of course, even if you break them, you can get some more. But just kind of get something flat between the panel and the door and kind of pry out a little bit and you'll feel it kind of popping loose and then it'll just come out you have to take up by the rear view mirror on the door that little piece comes off first then you take the screws out of the panel i don't think there's any screws hidden behind anything but i'm not real sure there'll be some around the door around the the handle yeah where where your armrest is and all that and then some of that door handle where that little bezel's out i think there's a screw in that right so there's a handful of screws you have to I think you have to take the door latch, I um, mean, the lock uh, slide. I think it pops out. Okay. I think you got you definitely got to take it out. Mm-hmm. And like Lewis was saying, they got some snap clips that just snap the panel on. Start working right. at the bottom yeah, corner. Yeah, the bottom. The right. bottom closest to the doorpost. And you can tell when you start working on it, you'll get it loose. And you can kind of look under there. It's going to be a little white push plug. Right, oh, plugs thing in the hole and door. Plugs in the hole. Now, when you get them all loose, you can't just yank panel off. You have to pick up on the panel because it's got like a lip that goes down where right, the window's yeah. at. Yeah. So you got to kind of pick it up, and then it comes off. Yeah, okay. And all you're right. probably gonna ha- you're probably gonna break some. They're notorious for breaking. Yeah. So you may have to run over to the parts house, and I think if you look in the help section, they got those. Clips. Yeah, I believe they do. Yeah. Okay. All all right. Right. So just take one and match it up. Right. All right. Sure. Appreciate it. Okay, all right, man. Buddy. Thank you. Hey, bye bye. Have a good day. Uh-huh. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.
Let's see, I think we can maybe squeeze another call in Let's real try. quick. And we got Jackie online. Good morning, Jackie. Hey, gentlemen, how y'all doing? This doing morning? great, man. Good morning. Listen, I see you guys quite a bit on Saturday mornings when I'm riding around, and oh, I good deal. I've, hear, I've heard y'all more than one occasion talk about the Chevy transmission. Yes, ma'am. And a minute ago, you were talking about it also, and I kind of missed it, I guess, but. You know, I'm looking for a used pickup truck. Would you kind of tell me again what the deal is with the Chevy transmissions? Because I've heard you say that even though they knew the part was bad, they continued to make the <laughs> transmission the same way. Yeah, they. I mean, they started out with that transmission in 1982, and they've got a part in there called a reaction shell that breaks a lot, and it's still the same part day. Gets them out of warranty. Yeah, I you mean. Know, about 50,000, 60,000 miles. A lot of them break as early as 50 or 60. A lot of them break at 80, 90, 100. Generally, by 140, 150, you just about put a transmission in it. Now, I got to say, I have seen a handful of them that have gone 300,000 miles, never broke. Just like people, you know, some of them can live a long, long time. But it's sort of a weak design. But that being said, it's, I guess it's got probably less problems than a lot of vehicles do. Right. That's one problem it has, and about the only thing you can do is get it serviced on a regular basis, change the fluid and filter and that sort of thing. But if it breaks, it's going to break. So you well, just kind of – The whole transmission has to be replaced for that part. Well, you well, have you to replace that part, and if it's got a lot of miles on it, chances are you're going to be rebuilding the transmission, okay. which is fairly expensive. But, I mean, it can be fixed, and it can be fixed better than it ever was before, so that's the good news. What I always tell people anytime you buy any used vehicle is that you want to buy it cheap enough to where if you do have to do a repair like that, you're still okay. Okay. If you're and buying so, a truck $3,000 under normal value and you got to put a $2,500 transmission, you're still okay because okay. you got better than you had before. Well, do y'all have any reports real quick also about their these the Chevy trucks were also having uh, problems in the steering shaft, making noise. Oh, yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. Oh, yeah. Go, having to be replaced? Well, it doesn't have to be replaced. It's some things you do. Go to my website and just type okay. in, like, the word clunk or steering or something like that. And there's an article in there with pictures and everything. Tell you all about okay. it. Okay. All right. Thank you, guys. Love Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Boy, we have squandered uh-huh. another perfectly good hour. Right on time. How about that? <laughs> I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. We'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week also. Please That's tell right. your friends so we can get a lot more people listening. That's right. We want as many as we can possibly get. Yep. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.